start. I never threw up on any of my animals' heads, though. I have to say that. So that's bullshit. <laughs> that happens. Do you know? Do you know what a sixteen-year-old chihuahua on your head, like uh, not only breathing on you but farting on you and then vomiting on you? Like, do you, a sixteen-year-old breath and sixteen-year-old fart and sixteen-year-old vomit? Like, it's just, it's having a decaying fucking. <laughs> Mammal just on your head. a dying animal. God, they fucking stink. I I love I love biscuit to death. He's my best friend. Sixteen year old dog breath feed, and dog fart. You feed them like great food, great healthy food, and they still smell like shit, like they, from the inside. Like they eat chicken breast out of a crock pot. That's what I. They eat better than dying. I fucking eat. That is What's up, guys? Our Wrestling Podcast back at you with another episode. This is Dave Vicious with Justin Hall Package and Craig the British Bulldog bringing you our perspective on the world of professional oh. wrestling. No inside sources, no ties to the industry, just stories from the diehards sharing opinions with you. Today's topic, the legacy of Sting. For audio fans, give us a listen on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts, or watch our videos on YouTube at Our Wrestling Channel. On social media, can you give us a follow on Instagram or Twitter at OWB2019? Or on Facebook at Our Wrestling Podcast. And don't forget that lovely Daily Motion. We enjoy that Daily Motion where we can go on there unscripted, uncensored, uh, and have no ties to anything. Just do our thing. Watch whatever videos we want to watch. Uh, Jess really wants me to plug that really, really, really well. So I try every week. Daily Motion uh, coming to a theater near you. Um, watch it. It's fun. It's good stuff. We we have a lot of fun there. We need to put more, we need to put more content there, Jess. I'd say, but we're we're working on that. But there's good stuff there. Um, by the way, seriously, we're gonna try to do this in an hour. That's the deal. We're gonna try to do the legacy. No, of Sting. I think, no, that's it. We're gonna do not Sting. Gonna Listen, <laughs> it's gonna take as long as it takes. I've, re- okay? I've rewritten and rethought the way I do legacies. I got. I'm gonna. I'm determined to do this. It's hard because somebody like Sting. I mean, honestly, like just his WCW years, you could do a three hour podcast, like no problem. Like, but uh, we're going to skip through some stuff. So if you're listening, I'm making it shorter so you can tolerate us longer because I get it. Like our Steve Austin legacy is like two and a half hours, like no shit. So it's like, I get it. Like, right. Like, I know that it's hard to listen to that. And we're nobodies. We're just fans. Uh, And if I want people to listen to us, I want to give them a nice little 25 minute, 35 minute little you know, it's a commute. It's a workout. It's whatever. But our legacies are going to be a little bit longer. I feel that Sting deserves an hour. And uh, I think we're going to be, I think we'll be fine. We're going to be fine. As long as Dave behaves himself and stops derailing the podcast, then we're going to be fine. If Dave true. chooses That's to true. do the opposite, then we're going to be here for four hours. Yep. Four hours. Could you imagine? And a half. <clears throat> All right. Uh, Craig, I love you, but you're not getting a comment just yet. Let's leave. No, no, no. Sorry. Simply uh, put, it's long overdue. This is long that, overdue for Legacy of Sting. Sting deserves anything and everything in the realm of Legacy. It's it's not even a question. Let's get into that 85-87 Mid-South career. Steve Borden was born in Omaha, Nebraska on March 20th, 1959 and raised in Southern California. Real quick, Dave. So yeah. you said 85-84. So let's pretend 85. It is 2023. It is, <laughs> so he has been wrestling for 38 years. That's all. That's the kind of right? that's the kind of career he's had, and that's the kind of uh, longevity he's had, and a lot of that at a top flight level. Thirty eight years. He's 
He's brilliant. Yeah. Continue. Yeah. Sorry. Just, he played football and basketball in high school and later embarked on a no career idea. in bodybuilding. Borden had no interest in professional wrestling and no television access to it within his home community, but decided to pursue a career in <laughs> and the that's industry. Been Sting. Join us on I, Spotify. Whoa, so I, hate like, wrestling. He, Ow. I hate wrestling. Ow. Uh, but he was taken to <laughs> a go do wrestling Ow. federation event in Los Angeles, where he's the city of angels, where he saw Hulk Hogan. The Iron Sheik, the British Bulldogs, and Andre the Giant and yeah. others perform. And that's where Steve debuted for any promotion soon after. An all-California championship wrestling in That sounds like a fraud that he just happened to make. Like, I think that... I'll take your money, kid. I'll train you how to wrestle. What's yeah. your promotion's name? Uh, All-California uh, championship wrestling. California, like, California right? did not have a good hotbed of wrestling. It was not John Toll. Yeah, there was some areas, but it really wasn't ever known. Yeah, right? No, like, like it was San bad. Francisco was a big deal in California, but other than that, like it wasn't like. Yeah. I mean, well, Jess and I know, cut you, our you teeth got, at the Riverside the County. You got you got the Lakers. You got a lot of things going on. So yeah, you know, yeah, wrestling it's hard 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 to break through, right? So. Uh, Borden originally wrestled under the ring name Flash, teamed with Jim Justice Helwig, who would gain fame as the who, Craig? The Justice Warrior. <laughs> the Ultimate Warrior. Jim Justice WWE. Helwig. Oh, no. As what an two members of They were two members of Power Team USA. You can't make this up. Helwig and Borden later moved on to the Continental Wrestling Association, CWA, a wrestling company based in Memphis, Tennessee, and became known as the Freedom Fighters. Um, that, that's going to be a stupid. different name nowadays. Um, the duo Look at all these bad the, gimmicks they survived right off fantastic. the bat because they, they were right so there. huge. We're talking about the Freedom Fighters, Jim Helwig. Jim, glad to have you here, and Steve Borden. Steve, glad to have you guys here. This is your first time out here. We want to get a little background on you. Uh, Jim, I know you're from Atlanta, Georgia, right? That's right. Originally, I was out in California the last year and a half doing some wrestling out there. And how about uh, how about the record for the Freedom Fighters, uh, Steve? We've only lost two matches, but uh, neither one of those were really legitimate losses. We got hit over the head with chairs and tables and everything like that. You know, they got to do anything they can <laughs> to beat us. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, they were so huge, and they were so good at building their bodies, quite frankly. Um, the duo surfaced in a UWF, Universal Wrestling Federation, an organization run by Bill Watts, we love him, based in Alexandria, Louisiana, or Louisiana, uh, depending on where you're from. UWF was based in Louisiana? I didn't know that. I they did were, not know that. Where Thank they you. were known yeah. as the Blade Runners. That's where we kind of picked up on them, I think. That's when we first saw them and started seeing them in magazines was as the Blade Runners. Borden changed his ring name from Flash to Sting, while Helwig became known as Rock. Wow. Flash isn't working, man. What do I do? Sting Rock. Sting, bro. I'm just going to do Sting. Borden changed his name to Steve Austin, and the Warrior changed his name to The Rock. I'm like, excuse me? What are we talking about? What? What happened? In 1987, that team would split with Rock going to WCCW, becoming the Dingo Warrior, and Sting going to Crockett Promotions. Uh, as we get in, we we get into Surfer Sting, 1987 to 1996. So, and this World was the big thing here. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Crockett sold to Turner, and but right before Crockett sold to Turner, they bought Bill Watts UWF, which was the old Mid South. So they bought that, they bought the television slot and everything, and then Crockett realized, oh, like in order to run a business, like you have to not spend more than you make in a year, and we do the opposite <laughs> of what you're supposed to do. 
And so that's when they went to, and by the way, and when they bought Bill Watts UWF uh, in Louisiana and the oil fields out there, that powered that indie. So the oil fields died. They went through a recession. And so nobody, like, UWF just died. Like, all entertainment died. People couldn't afford it. So yeah. he's like, fuck. So he dressed the shit up. Rocket was so desperate to compete with Vince and try to get another organization to merge with him that um, that they they bought this rotten UWF, which Bill Watts, I'm sorry, I think sold him a bill of bullshit. And so they ended up <laughs> buying the company and then going like, oh, fuck, we inherited all their debt, too. So yep. right after that is when Turner came over and said, I'll buy the entire Crockett promotion from you, that whole faction of the NWA, I'll buy. And which, in fact, caused the NWA to dry up and die. A lot of territories dried up and died. They were dying anyway. And then with Vince taking over the other half of the world, it's like, Sting got lucky. And, you know, Warrior went to Texas and took a different route. But Sting just kind of folded with the UWF right into Crockett and then right into Turner. Like, so Turner could have said, like, I don't want any of that bullshit and cut all their contracts or bought them out. But they didn't. They took them in. So Sting got super fucking lucky. Like, well, depends on if you think about it. If you do a what if and you say, what if Sting got, went to WWF and Warrior stayed, you know, that's a whole different story. But, I mean, with Sting's just a career with what we know happened, he got fucking lucky that he got kept because he could have easily gotten cut. And I don't know where he would have went. You, you, know? you can argue that they got lucky that they kept him around. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Sting's first major event was Starcade 1987 in the opening bout teaming with Jimmy Garvin and Michael P.S. Hayes against Rick Steiner, Eddie Gilbert, and Larry Zbysko. I guess Scott was sick. Um, I don't know what happened there. He wasn't um, there yet. And now, their opponents, first from every man's nightmare, at 260 pounds, this is Sting! At Clash of Champions in March of 1988, Sting challenged Ric Flair for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. The match would end in a draw after the 45-minute time limit would cease, and the ringside judges could not declare a winner. Apparently, it was a split decision. I don't know. So, I know this is our first stopping point. This this is the first thing that put Sting on the map as far as, like, Flair was, like, really, you know, you could say what... What you want about Rick, you know, he's to this day, he still lives kind of a semi reckless lifestyle. But Rick was always like pretty good when it came to giving people chances. You know, he's he needed faces. Sting, Rick knew that here, especially like with the the sell and everything, the sale that was going to happen with Turner. Flair's like, I can't face Dusty all the time. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I have to, you know, I we need new people. Magnum got in the car accident. And so, like, they were just like, we don't have anybody. Like, so, yeah. Flair's like, let let me take Sting on. Let's just build the storyline around this this uh, Clash of the Champions. By the way, it was their retaliation. So they had the first Clash of the Champions on the same day that WrestleMania Four was on free on TBS. So while WrestleMania Four was happening, they purposely put this clash up against it, and they got a great rating. So like they were trying to fight back here at this point, and like it was probably about five months before uh, Crockett sold to Turner at this point. So um, they were trying. They were trying to fight back, and they used Sting. They used this whole storyline of this new kid. Uh, you know, you heard the girl cheers. You know, the high pitch. Like in the crowd, Sting was getting all those responses. He looked awesome. He had blonde hair, face paint. You know, he looked great, and he had a lot, a ton of charisma. What he didn't know in the ring yet, he was uh, making up for with just that charisma that people just like gravitated to him. Get your mouth shut, punk. You don't walk out here. 
in front of the whole world and for one second try and intimate that you think you're ready so for Flair's like, I need an opponent, let's put him in, let's have him go to a draw with me, so that way he doesn't beat me, I don't beat him though, and then now Sting's on the map as a top player, and it worked perfectly, like, this is just one of those moments where you're like, holy shit, I got goosebumps right now, like, because it's like, they just called their shot, they're like, we need to make a star right now, what's the fastest way we can do it without hot-shotting the title and making some, making Sting beat Flair out of nowhere, which would have been terrible, because Sting wasn't ready. And so, yeah. like, they just said, oh, well, he'll go to a draw, and then we'll start building him towards the main, like, main event status, like, after that. And it worked perfect. It worked perfect. There you go. They would meet <laughs> again two years later, Dave. Two years later. Just, they would. I'm sure we'll get there. In the fall of 1988, Sting was attacked by Hawk and Animal of the Road Warriors after a televised match. Rhodes, as the current booker here, identified Sting as the face who was the most over with the fans, which I think is true. Despite knowing that churning the Road Warriors' heel would be no easy task, after a long push, Sting won his Rhodes first title. Rhodes got fired for that too, by the way. That's ridiculous. Like in hindsight, he's probably right. Well, I mean, because he bled, he bled when he wasn't supposed to. That's why. That's uh, lame. After a long push, Sting won his first title in the NWA when he defeated uh, Rotundo for the NWA Television Championship at a live event in March of mid 1989. After briefly becoming a member of the Four Horsemen, the group would turn on Sting due to his interest in challenging Ric Flair for the world title there. After suffering a serious knee injury during a planned run and spot, Sting would be out of action for almost five months. He would finally get his shot and defeat Ric Flair for the NWA world title at the Great American Bash 1990 in July of same year. So we've talked Pretty about phenomenal. it before. We've talked about it before. He was actually supposed to beat Ric Flair before the Warrior beat Hogan. They had a pay-per-view in February. Uh, uh, I believe it was the... Uh, I can't remember what the name of it was. But he was going to fight uh, Ric Flair and win the title there. But he uh, injured his... Uh, the Clash of the Champion leading up to that pay-per-view. So the Clash of the Champions leading up, uh, they were doing a cage where the Horseman was taking on the Terry Funk and the Dragon Master and a couple other people to end that feud. Sting came out because they kicked him out of the horseman earlier that night in a great mm. segment. And yeah. then uh, Sting comes to climb the cage, and he went up once, came down, went up again, and everybody's holding him, trying to pull him back. And I think Sting underestimated how high up he was. When he landed, he fucking blew his knee out. Yeah. Um, and then you could clearly see like him go, fuck. Like, he knew something was wrong, and Rick didn't know it. So they get Sting. Sting's got his arm around two people, and he's trying to tell them, like, I, I can't put any weight on this. Flair comes running out from the cage, jumps onto Sting, because he thought Sting was going to fight him back, not knowing Sting's leg was gone, and just bowled everybody over. And you could see Flair just going fucking nuts on him, because he was supposed to. But, like, Sting is on the ground going, God, please. Like, I don't yeah. know what's wrong. Like, you know, and so it was, it was awful. So he was going to be Beat Flair in February of 1990, which was a, a couple of months before the Warrior would beat Hogan at WrestleMania 6. So it wow. ended up looking like they put the belt on Sting afterwards in retaliation to the Warrior winning. That's not the case. 
they were going to put it on Sting earlier that year, but he blew his fucking meniscus out, or I don't remember what the actual injury was, but it was he was going to be out for like four or five months. It's, and it, like, it's still interesting though how those guys had their tie together as a team, as a tag team, and they won their titles right around the same time, the same year by beating the the greatest wrestler of all time in their respective like genres or in their respective. It's promotions. incredibly. It's, crazy. it's a weird parallel. It's, it is a weird parallel. Yeah. And then, like um, Dave Red too, he finally in July in 1990 healed enough. We've talked about uh, missed opportunity Sting 1990 title reign, which I think was a missed opportunity because they saddled him with stupid gimmicks like the Black Scorpion. And we Craig made a good point in that episode saying, you know, you know, coming back after four and a half months, after, maybe he wasn't ready to come back, but he just knew if I don't come back soon, I'm going to lose my momentum, and it, me beating Flair won't mean anything. And afterwards, by the way, in a promo he cut on the aisle, which was uncharacteristic, he was interviewing with Jim Ross, and he actually said, and Flair was a heel, and he said, I think Ric Flair's the greatest heavyweight champion of all time, and uh, it was an honor for me to face him. And saying that out loud, like in the arena, is, you know, he was paying tribute to Flair two years ago. This guy gave me a shot when I didn't. Nobody would have given me a shot, and Flair's like, let's make this guy. And then two years later, after a knee injury that would have put anybody else on the shelf, any other company probably would have went... Tyler on Luger and we'll just do this. You know, they Flair's like, no, wait for Sting. I owe Sting, and he's going to beat me for the title. So there's a lot of. I know it, we're trying to speed it up, but there was a, again that was a, his lineage to there's Flair so here much was there. such a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, though, due to behind the scenes turmoil in WCW, Sting's reign was unproductive, and he would lose the belt back to Flair at a house show in January of '91. Uh, like I said, missed opportunities. We've talked about that. Uh, for the remainder of 91, Sting remained their top babyface, and when win the U.S. title during the summer, he would lose that belt back to uh, Rick, or sorry, to Rick Rude at the end of the year. From 92 to 96, Sting won multiple WCW world titles and another U.S. title run in 1995. He would have legendary feuds with Vader, Rick Rude, Rick Flair, and others throughout those years. I remember some legendary stuff with Vader. I think the strap match comes to mind for yeah. me. Like, I, that's the reason why I yada yada past this and I put it red because I know we're gonna have a lot to say about. Yeah, there's I just so much. There's like so years. much in that in but, that yeah. four year period. Oh my gosh! But the, the Vader, but me, the Vader matches they, were. They punish, they, what do you they, say? They punish each yeah. other in those matches, and the strap match held no exception to that. They they beat the crap out of each other. Um, Sting, I think, was the, always the kind of guy, and we talked about it several times, where he's like, "Yeah, do it." Like uh, White oh, Castle of Fear. Yeah, do it. Yeah. 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 He had know. a brief run with Mick Foley. He helped Cactus Jack, like, you know, kind of cut his teeth too, like, in a, in a less effective way than what Flair did for him. But he, when Foley came in in 92, 93, like, Foley was like, program with Sting, and he talked to Sting and was like, let me do all these things. And he's like, why would I let you do that stuff to me? He's like, because you're going to go over and you're going to look great if I do it. And Sting's like, okay. Like, so they just... Like, there's so many people here that I am yada yada pasting, but I mean, like, in his feud with Rick Rude, they were just made for each other. Like, yeah, I don't even know. Fantastic yeah. matches with Rude. Yeah. My God. His, his greatest rivalry probably, I mean, longevity-wise, is with Flair, but I mean, like, the Vader feud, you cannot discount the Vader feud. Like, 
Vader beat him clean, and then he beat Vader clean. He was like one of the first people that they allowed to book against Vader where he wasn't afraid of Vader. Like that character, the Sting character was not afraid of Vader. And so Sting would just punch him in the mouth right back. And you wouldn't think that from Sting, Surfer Sting, you know? Like, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. it's Sting to me from like 91 to like 93, 94 showed how tough he was and what a really good pro wrestler he was facing all these different guys Mick Foley, Vader, Rude, Flair. You know, like he showed what I was talking about in our unscripted episode before we hit record here. Um, he was a champion that could take care of anybody, and he didn't need the title. Often they would give him the belt, and he would lose it two months later because they're like, well, he's fucking Sting. Like, so he'll be fine. We'll put the belt on somebody else, and Sting's going to be over no matter what. So I didn't mean to yada yada past this point because Hogan came into the promotion in 94. He teamed with Hogan and Savage and all that stuff. But now we're going to get to, I think the surfer Sting was best defined with the Flair run, the Horseman run. Flair putting him over in 90, and I think really now the second phase, as if that wasn't a Hall of Fame career already, what we mentioned, we're going to get into the second phase, mm-hmm. which solidified Sting. And he's the Sting that we know now. The look of him now is, yeah. I don't think anyone remembers Surfer Sting anymore. I really it's don't think still... they do. I do. The one in yeah. my head is still Surfer Sting. Me too. Me too. That's the Sting I always remember. We're, in my yeah. head. we're, we're old. We're old, and that's the only answer to that to the reason why that happens. I mean, we're just, we're older. We saw that he was etched in our minds well before the crow character that we're going to get into right now. Um, I still remember short hair, flat top makeup, yeah. uh, the long pants, you know, no, no shirt, stinger splash all day. Um, that's what we remember, but we're going to get into the crow character of, uh, and the NWO phase from 96 to 2001. In the fall of 96, the NWO storyline has captivated wrestling fans and allowed WCW to complete um, to compete with and surpass the WWF as the top American wrestling promotion for how many weeks? What was that? 83? 83. 83 weeks. Sting uh, Sing's brightly colored character had grown stale and he needed to reinvent himself in order to match up against the new edgy renegade group after leading the charge to defend the WCW against the NWO, it would seem Sting joined their group after attacking uh, Lex Luger in the parking lot. However, this was an imposter Sting hired by the NWO to fool WCW into thinking they had lost their most committed star, and it definitely worked. His fellow WCW wrestlers and current War Games teammates uh, thought Sting had turned his back on them. And I remember that moment where Sting's like, if you don't believe me, then screw all of you. I'm done. Yeah. All of the commentators, all of the wrestlers, and all of the best friends who did doubt me, you can stick it. From now on, I consider myself a free agent. But that Uh doesn't mean that you won't see the stinger. From time to time, I'm going to pop in when you least expect it. Yeah, um, it was a fantastic uh, story. We'll, we'll jump into it. We'll just jump right into it. So, feeling upset and betrayed, Sting would disappear from television for a few weeks. On the October twenty first episode of Nitro, Sting returned for the first time since the night after Fall Brawl in a match where the Imposter Sting was wrestling Mister Mister Jail. Is that right? Yeah, Mister uh, Sting. I don't. I, I don't Mr. know Mister Jail. Jail. You don't even know. Uh, that. He wore a mask. It was Jerry Lynn. Sting emerged wearing wearing a trench coat and a white face paint with black marks around his eyes. He went into the ring and attacked the NWO 
Sting. I want to talk about that real briefly because I think we've talked about this several times, but we we don't talk too much, maybe not enough about Scott Hall and the his savant of like, you should do this. He had a lot of yeah. great ideas. And and honestly, this whole this whole idea of you should you have seen the crow, right? Jess has talked about this over and over. You should come you should be like the crow and come down and wear you know, and wear the paint and all this. I'm like and uh it's it all kind of comes stems from Scott Hall's kind of weird idea of you should be the crow. And which is really what Sting is kind of portraying um ever since he gets out of Surfer Sting. I mean, what do you, you guys are on that uh train? Yeah, yeah, no. Hall was the one who came up with the gimmick, basically, because Sting was like, "Well, they want you know they want me to be darker, and I'm going to be brooding." Sting, you know, basically, and he was just like, "Have you seen the Crow?" And Sting's like, "No," and he goes, "You should go watch the Crow, and you should." Like Hall wasn't shy. He's like, "You should just be that guy." I mean, he looked just like Bruce Lee's son, the Crow, the white face paint, the black trench coat, and he's not yeah. for revenge. And that was the whole thing, like what the Crow was. When, uh, you know, for people who haven't seen the movie Crow, short, long story short, he died in the beginning of the movie and him and his wife or girlfriend died, I think. And then he got killed by the same people that killed her. So like his, he was so angry when he passed, like the spirit of the crow, like brought him back. And so that was, he had the spirit of, yeah, he had the spirit of revenge in him. And so he would get it revenge. And that's what this crow was based on. So Hall was just talking to him and go, yeah, you you want to get revenge on us and you want to get revenge on WCW, but you really know that WCW just didn't know any better. We're this evil organization that corrupted them. So like forgive them for their sins, basically, you know, but you're going to come after us. And they had him up on the rafters. You're going to read, you know, you talk about the bloodline and it has been a very long storyline in current wrestling in WWE, but you got to give WCW credit for fucking a year. They had Sting up in those goddamn rafters, and he would just come down, and the place would go fucking insane when he would drop down, and he would attack everyone with the bats, and then he would just hook the thing back up and whoop, right back up in the ceiling. And it was really, it was like a fucking action star every week. Like, Sting was the perfect foil for WCW. He was no match for WCW backstage politics. That's a totally different thing. But, uh, like, as far yeah. as, like, character-wise, Sting was the perfect foil for the NWO. You know, you had this real gimmick, that real-life kind of... G NWO gimmick and then this person you think that Sting wore the colors black and white but he had the most charisma not talking for a year even more charisma than he had a surfer Sting like it was just like this black and white figure but Sting radiated every time he came down it was like a star and he never spoke and he just pointed the bat and the place would go fucking crazy and like it's just it's a real departure from what he was but really Crow Sting had the most charisma of any of his his characters and he didn't say a word for like a year. It was really amazing storytelling. You got to give WCW credit for all the bad they did towards the end and the way all the backstage politics and the guaranteed money ate them alive. But like, really, like the, the NWO and the Sting story arc uh, is second to none. It really it, it's what made this the only company ever beat Vince was this storyline. This storyline took him out. And challenged him to make his product better, and we all, yeah. you know, at the time, Sting, benefited Sting from was it. The, but. Sting was the foil that everybody thought the NWO would eventually succumb to, and that's why people kept watching and every single week. Not to toil on, he almost became Hogan's spot. They wanted Sting to turn heel, 
and because they didn't think Hogan was going to turn heel. So Sting was the guy that was going to drop the face paint and just be Steve Borden and go with Holland Nash and do all that thing. But then Hogan's kind of like, fuck, I'm going to get boxed out. So I'll turn bad. And Hogan ended up turning heel. And then Sting became the foil. Can you imagine Crow Hogan like up in the rafters? Yeah. <laughs> like getting lowered down. That, like, that was probably like, all for the best that like Hogan really stepping in front. It all worked and, out the way it needed to. That's for sure. Or Hogan probably wouldn't have came from the ceiling. He would have like, because he was a Harley guy. So he probably would have rode the motorcycle down way before the Undertaker came up with the thing. Like Hogan would have done something stupid and made it look awful. Like, but Sting was the perfect Hogan was the perfect bad guy for it, and Sting was the perfect guy to put up on the rafters. It like Craig says, it was absolutely for the better. Yeah, it really it was, was for the better. As you said, for the next ten months, Sting would appear in the rafters at WCW events. He would uh, lapel down on a cable and physically get involved on occasion. He eventually made his union with WCW clear when he challenged Hogan at uh, WCW Starcade in '97. It would end up being the most bought pay-per-view um, in WCW history. God, that, that record up. was never broken. However, the backstage politics and turmoil ruined the climax of the match, leaving the fans feeling robbed of Sting's clean revenge. Uh, Craig, you've been fairly quiet. I, I really wanted to bring you in at this moment. Like We've talked about this. We've heard podcasts about this. We've even heard the basically the CEO, or if you want to talk about it, basically the person at all control of WCW talk about this moment, and we're still not satisfied about their decision as to why. Can you give us what their, can you remember what they said about why they, they didn't give Sting the nod here and how you feel about it? We had a plan. It was a year-long plan, and it was in motion, and that day, suddenly it, it wasn't in motion like it was anymore. So lots of changes, lots of behind-the-doors meetings happening. Um, and um, I think because of that, number one, I don't believe that our match actually followed the big build-up. No, you're right. It, it, it did not follow. Um, but I think it was due to all the chaos that happened, you know, the hours that, you know, of that day that led up to the match. And not knowing for sure what we were going to do and how we were going to do it, literally, until we walked through the curtain. I, I don't really. I just remember it being such an anticlimactic schmoz, and then reading all the dirt sheets, which you got back then, like early days of internet, either printed out or yeah, um, or on the early days of message boards and stuff. But holy shit! And I, I think we blamed Hogan, obviously, and backstage politics. Part and, of it. I don't think he's innocent. Whether it was, yeah. I think, what was it was Sting wasn't tanned enough, or what no, that was, was what yes. Bischoff said on his podcast. It was like Sting's head wasn't enough, into not, it. I'm like, listen, not, yeah, his head's not into it. Not tanned enough. Yeah. Not not uh, not cut enough. If, yeah, I'm like, if nobody you be, cares. you're telling the fans for ten months to a year that Sting's the guy. Yeah, I don't care if he comes in in a bad mood or his breath smells. You yeah. put him over. You tell. You finish yeah. the story. Taz always makes that joke. You finish the story. You fucking finish the story, and you didn't. Like you didn't. You made up some lies about Sting not being as focused mentally because he was going through personal problems or whatever. But yet you told us a story. We don't know anything about that. We don't know what yeah. the fuck Sting's going through. But he showed up physically every week and made us excited. You finish the story and pay us off. But Hogan is such a dickhole. That, like, Hogan didn't want to lose because, I don't know, brother. I don't know where Sting's head's at, brother. You fucking liar. Like, and I, I get so mad at Hogan. I'm like, you fucking asshole. Like, you were supposed to lose on your back. One, two, three. No, or actually, yeah. tap out in the Scorpion Death uh, Lock. 
one, two, was, three, you know, tap out yeah. one, two, or, or get pinned. Was that that's the Nick Patrick that fast count job. too? Like, but that's the whole thing. Is like yeah. Nick Patrick ruined it. They did. They were supposed to do a fast count. So Sting, Bischoff, and them told Sting Nick Patrick's going to be the referee. He had just reformed from being with the NWO. He wanted. He was begging WCW for his job back, and I'm sorry because he had been with the NWO for a while. So they made him the referee of the main event, which makes no sense. And so, uh, because obviously <laughs> like you saw it was coming. So the whole thing, the way it was supposed to happen was he was, Hogan drops the leg. He does a mega fast count. Sting jumps up like, what the fuck? And they do like a screw job. Bret Hart, who had just debuted for the company that night, is supposed to come down and say, I just came from a place where they screwed me. I'm not going to let it happen here. I was a referee for the match before. I'm still, I still have my referee's license for tonight. Restart the match. And he knocks Nick Patrick out, and then they recontinue the match, and then finally Hogan taps in the Scorpion uh, death lock. That's how it was supposed to go. Hogan went into the locker room after Sting did in the back and told Nick Patrick, I want a, I want a normal, slow, steady count. And Nick's like, but I just talked to Sting. He's like, I just talked to Bischoff. I want a slow, steady count. And he goes, okay. And they went out there, and Hogan drops the leg. And all 10 months that Sting was in the rafters came crashing down on the mat. Like, Such a And piece he of dropped shit. the leg, and Nick Patrick goes, one, two, three. And the crowd was like, what the fuck? Like, you saw people go, what the fuck? Hogan gets up. Brett comes out and says what he says. The microphone doesn't work, so you didn't hear what Brett said at first, and then Brett restarts the match, and the crowd still popped, and then Sting ended up tapping him in the Scorpion Deathlock, but you saw it. You were like, what the fuck just happened? Like, Hogan pinned him clean in the middle, so if you're following the storyline, Sting loses, wasn't strong enough to beat Hulk, and then Brett has to come out and cheat to save him. And it was just like, what the fuck is happening? Like, and it ruined, it ruined the storyline, and like, People want to point to the finger, poke a doom. People want to poke to a lot of things. I go back to this. That was it. Them fucking up this beginning arc the end. started the cracking in the foundation. And like shortly after that, four months later, actually, they finally lost their first ratings war. And then Austin and Vince were off to the races. If you, if you can't do that right, and, you have, yeah. you've lost. Yep. You're in the middle of the most intense North American wrestling war ever, by the way. And like you yep. pull this shit. The one storyline that made you better than Vince, that... Vince on his ass that dominated Vince for a long time. Here's the payoff, and you you just didn't do it. It's, it's it. awful. It's awful. As 1998 began, the NWO began to splinter. Sting recaptured the vacant WCW World Heavyweight Championship in February at Super Brawl 8 with the help of Savage, who was beginning to split from that very NWO. Sting went on to successfully defend the title against the likes of Hall, Nash, and DDP. Uh, like Savage, Nash began to pull away from the Hogan-dominated NWO, and Nash helped Sting, uh, sorry, helped Savage beat Sting for the championship at Spring Stampede in April of same year. Uh, Nash and Savage, yeah, So, um, and Nash and Savage officially split from the original NWO on May fourth, forming the face group NWO Wolfpack, while Hogan's heel faction became identified as NWO Hollywood. The two NWO factions uh, vied for Sting's allegiance, with Sting's friends, the Giant, joining NWO Hollywood, and Luger joining the Wolfpack. Um, this is where it gets way too complicated. I'm just saying. Um, Sting seemed to have joined the NWO Hollywood when he appeared wearing a black and white NWO shirt, but he soon tore that shirt off to reveal the yeah, Wolfpack, um, you know, red and black. I have to say, so even though 98 to me was like a mishmash, it was like WCW hot shotting 
because they screwed the angle up and then the Vincent uh, McMahon storyline on the other channel was turning up the heat and winning all the attention. First of all, both companies were still breaking date records, pay-per-view records, and ratings records every week, even though Nitro would lose sometimes or whatever. But I remember this moment where they were sharing Sting fours and fives. They were. Sting came in, took his thing off, had a black and white NWO shirt on, hugged Hogan. The place was shocked. They started throwing shit at Sting. And then uh, Sting shook his hand and then went to pull him away and punched him in the face. And I mean, this place went fucking nuts. He rips the shirt off and it's the red NWO for the Wolfpack. I mean, and then the giant comes in and points at him and he slams the giant. I mean, this place, people were jumping up and down. Like, so they still. WCW still had some magic in 98. Like I said, they were still breaking attendance records. They were making record profit in 98. Like, they were on fire, even though they'd started misstepping early, which eventually, it's an avalanche, right? It starts, it doesn't happen right away. It just slowly starts to, yep. but I, this was a, a good moment, Sting joining the Wolfpack. And look at Hogan celebrate. Oh, I thought I'd never see this. Sting hugging Hogan. No, he Sting deck Hogan. He wore that he wore that red and black base paint um as members of the oh. Wolfpack there. In ninety nine, Sting would win the WWE. You know what World people call title. Sting now? The the red face sting? They call him Tomato Sting online. It's really no, they it's don't. Like, yeah, because his whole face was red, so they call tomato him Tomato That's not yeah. that's disrespectful. It is, I agree. In ninety nine, Sting that's would win sting. the WCW world title on two occasions. Tomato his first, Sting. His first was in a classic match against GDP on Nitro. The second was that Fall Brawl 99 against Hulk Hogan. So, um, and real quick on this one, too, one of the bright spots of 99, it was they were definitely starting to go on their downhill slope at WCW, but him and DDP, so at the beginning of Nitro, they started Nitro, and then Sting beats DDP in a fucking hell of a match. I mean, really good match, and wins the world title. The place goes nuts, and then unfortunately, at the end of the night, they rematch, but this time it was a four-way match. It was like, I can't remember who was in it, I think it might have been like Flair, DDP, Sting, and somebody else. And then uh, DDP wins it back. And like, so they tried to tell the story at the beginning. They had Sting win the title, and then Sting lost it uh, at the end. And I think that was the shortest reign. I think I didn't include it. I think that was the shortest WCW Heavyweight Championship reign ever, I think. Uh, with Sting, Sting losing, winning it, and then losing it before I was or something like that. But I mean, this match with DDP in 1999, it was so good, man. I remember just going, oh, they had bright spots. They were trying to, yeah, WCW was getting pinned by WWF, and they kept trying to kick out. They were trying, they were trying, and it just, it was not going to happen here at this point, but a uh, bright spot for Sting, uh, and then he beats, uh, he actually turned heel when he beat Hogan here in Fall Brawl of 99. For weeks, Luger had been coming and trying to get Sting on his side, and Luger was a heel. And Hogan was back in these yellow and red by this time. And uh, so he agreed to, to take Sting on at Fall Brawl. Hogan was champion. And uh, at the end of the match, uh, Luger gave the bat to Sting. Sting looked at the bat and looked at Hogan. Hogan's like, what? And then he hit Hogan with it. 
And of course, the crowd cheered because nobody wanted to cheer for Hogan at this point. And uh, but Sting turned heel as far as storyline was concerned and, and won the title from Hogan. So he was still winning shit in '99. Yep. Even though this turmoil is about to come. In 2000 and 2001, WCW was rocky. This horrible booking and a mess of a backstage atmosphere. WCW was eventually bought out by WWF in March of 2001. And Sting would sit out the remainder of his Turner contract, which I'm sure was quite lucrative there. Um, Jumping into TNA, total nonstop action. You would think everybody wants to make that WWF jump. Sting didn't do that right away. He went, um, you know... He rejected a buyout. The of Jeff Jarrett promotion. Yeah. Um, from AOL Time Warner, instead of waiting until his contract expired in March of 02, he announced a short-lived retirement in February of that year. Borden then entered into contract negotiations with the WWF, but, event- but eventually did not join that promotion. He didn't want to do it. Um, in 2003, Sting signed a contract committing him to four appearances with total nonstop action, TNA Wrestling Promotions there. So... He debuted in TNA on the June 18th one-year anniversary show. Teaming with Four Jeff appearances. Jarrett. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, to defeat AJ Styles and Six Pac. Uh, those four appearances would turn into 11, an 11-year 11 stay with TNA Impact. Um, pretty impressive. It's like, let's just see how it goes. Uh, and they wanted to know. They wanted to know if I would be a part of this wrestling organization. And I started to tune in and see guys like AJ Styles. Abyss, Samoa Joe, there's a whole bunch of them out here that are future. There's a handful of them, I promise you, that are future world champions sitting back in the dressing room right now. And when I saw them, I said, this is my brand. TNA is my brand. Yeah. Sounds like a very Bill Murray-esque kind of thing. Let's just, I'll, I'll, I'll stop by on Saturday, and then I'll stop by the next Saturday, and it's 11 years later. Um, he being Sting, not not Bill Murray, would win their world title multiple times <laughs> and interfuse with Jeff Jarrett, Abyss, Bobby Roode, Kurt Angle, Samoa Joe, Jeff Hardy, AJ Styles, Ric Flair, Bully Ray, Magnus, and Mick Foley. That's an awesome array of people. I forgot Hogan. He feuded with Hogan again, too. So many people in TNA in these in these moments. I know in time it's super short here, and that's why I put this part in red because you TNA is just going to be the least watched promotion, right? Like it tried, and you know, Impact's still around now, and Impact has a streaming channel, by the way. If you you have the extra money, get it because you can get all the all the old Impact uh, shows. You can get all the old pay per views and everything. It's worth it. There were some really fun years in TNA. Sting was there for 11 fucking and years. Even, almost even yeah. to, not to get down that rabbit hole too much, but even after Sting was there and gone, you got the you got the Samoa Joe um and and Kurt Angle stuff. You got the you got the Christian Cage stuff in there. There's a lot of stuff. A lot of it, great It's really stuff good. And and I the only reason why we're yachty yachting past of that is because I think not as many people know TNA, the old TNA. But no, you, you, I feel you, awful. You should go. You I feel should go awful because um I this this entire decade or whatever of Sting is out of my memory. I well, a lot a of people TNA did. You know, fan, after so WCW was bought, the viewership of, of wrestling went down by nature, and even WWE's ratings went down because, of course, when there's no competition, you're going to die. And TNA, 
it did well for several years. It did really well, and it profited, uh, contrary to popular belief, but it just never mm -hmm. hit the audience that WWF even touched. It never even came yeah. close to the WCW yeah. audience. So, I mean, like, even in the WCW dying years, it didn't even come close to that audience. It just wasn't time for another wrestling promotion, but Jarrett and Dixie Carter were determined. And uh, and just so I'm glad TNA was there because it gave men and women another place to work, and we got so many gems from TNA. The X Division, Kurt Angle coming aboard, Sting and all his stuff, like, uh, it, it's worth going back. I don't want to yada yada past it, but I mean, we got to go. But I mean, I know a lot of people that are listening didn't see. I mean, even one of the guys on this podcast you is like, really, you should I get it, it out. you know, I get how you could, you would have missed a whole decade because TNA wasn't as far outreached as mm -hmm. WCW was and or it's, WWF it's, it's harder to find, quite frankly. Yeah. So yeah, but you Sting, go check it out. I, dare I say that Sting was a big reason why Jarrett was able to get anybody to come over, like to sample the product because they knew who Sting was. Uh, they would yeah. eventually get other big names for sure, but Sting was the first one that came over and said, "I'm gonna, I'll stay with you." He and never trusted Vince. He didn't think Vince was gonna do right by him, so he went to TNA. I think that's yeah. the biggest difference between Borden and most wrestlers is, I'll make a payday, but I'll help people along the way, and I think that's what served him, you know, for all this time. I'm gonna be getting I think ahead of myself, I but... think what Ric Flair did for him in 1988 has stayed with Sting. This is me guessing as a fan has stayed with Sting the entire time. So anytime he's, Sting he's runs old, into a young guy, Sting's like, I'm going to do it for you. Like it, but I think yeah. Sting really realized like my career got started because a, a top guy was so unselfish mm -hmm. and he put me in the spotlight and I never dropped the ball because of him, because of this guy. Yep. Um, Sting would leave that promotion in 2014 after, like you said, 11 year stand. That's a pretty good amount of time. When you, sign, when you sign up for just four appearances, that, that's the thing. We joke about that, but Sting. Oh, is I didn't just, tell you guys. It was only four appearances loyal. in 10 years. So we barely <laughs> stop. <laughs> no, we'll stop um, let's jump into the WWE Hall of Fame stuff. Sting would appear in a tribute piece on the Ultimate Warrior after his passing. On July 14th, Sting appeared in a vignette on Raw to promote the video game WWE 2K15, on which he was featured as a pre order bonus character. Um, with both his crow and surfer pre-96 uh, characters, you know, incarnations. That same day, WWE began selling official Sting merchandise, which I'm sure flew off the shelves. Um, on, number th on November 13th, I'm sorry, excuse me, on November 23rd of 2014, during a main event of Survivor Series, Sting made his first ever appearance in a WWE ring by attacking Triple H with a scorpion death drop and also costing Team Authority... Authority, the match. Uh oh my God! It's, it's Sting! What's Stinger's hand? A six-time WCW champion, the two-time NWA World Heavyweight Champion. But what the hell is he doing here? The franchise. The man who's never stepped foot inside WWE's arena before. Well, what a hell of an impact he's made. The first time he did. Um, that sounds all great. And then we get into the next sentence. Sting would face Triple H at WrestleMania 31 in a losing effort. Hell yeah. It's not highlighted, but um, yeah. Uh, we've already talked about it. It's, it sucks. It's ridiculous. Um, makes no sense. Just uh, why? Pure ego. Pure, yeah. pure, just like why we will never let WCW get one over on us. Ever, and ever, ever. And Stupid. Yeah. Fucking marks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sting returned on the August 24th episode of Raw, challenged the WWE World Heavyweight Champion Seth Rollins at Night of Champions. 
Uh, that didn't defeated, go well either. That didn't go well either. Sting defeated Big Show by disqualification in his first match on Raw as a consequence of Rollins attacking Sting. That same night, a second match was booked with Cena and Sting defeating Show and Rollins. Here's where it sucks. At Night of Champions in 2015, Sting was defeated by Rollins and experienced a legit neck injury after a turnbuckle powerbomb. Uh, Sting later told Bill after that he does not blame Rollins for his injury, describing the incident as a freak accident. And then he did it to somebody else like a year later um, and tore his shoulder out. But, you know, it's a freak accident. I'm sorry. I couldn't help myself. That was um, very, very tough to watch. It was mm-hmm. sickening. It was kind of gross. It was like Sting's done. He can't keep up with Rollins. Um I think that could have been it. Yes, he hurt Finn like a year later, to Dave's point or whatever, but like really like it, it's a high impact move. Maybe Sting had no business doing it, and maybe Sting was ambitious when Rollins like, what do you want to do? And he's like, I want to do all your th- all your stuff. And Rollins like, okay, I want you to do the thing to me. And you know, Rollins is like, I don't know, I don't think you can. You know, you got to give Rollins credit. Maybe Rollins is like, I don't think you want to take that. Well, fine, it's safe. I, I know what to do, you know? And it's like, you don't know what to do until you hit it, and you're like, oh, I'm 50-something years old. I, oh! Like, you know, and I think to give Rollins credit, I don't think I don't think he did anything wrong. I think Sting just no. hit the buckle wrong, it pinched a nerve, and he was like, he was kind of jelly for a minute in there. Like, you could go back and watch the match, and he was not responsive. Yeah. And so he finally came back into it and got into it, and then, like, kept going. But it was scary for a minute, because you're like, Jesus Christ, man, like, that's... That's a high impact move for a guy in his fifties. Yeah. It was announced on the July eleventh, two thousand sixteen episode of Raw that Sting would be the first member of the Hall of Fame class for WWE um, in twenty sixteen. Um, on the February twenty fifth, twenty nineteen episode of Raw, Sting made his first appearance on WWE television since twenty sixteen at the seventieth birthday celebration of Ric Flair. But Flair was attacked by Batista before he could make it to the ring. I love, I love Batista. You're so fucking funny. Yeah, Give me this what I want. Up, this Give end me up what being, I want. Yeah. Give me what I want. Uh, this would end up being Sting's final appearance for the company, other than interviews recorded for the WWE Network. So, um, rolling into the AEW stuff, which is still going on right now, believe it or not. On December 2nd of 2020, Sting made his All Elite Wrestling debut after a tag team match that pitted Cody Rhodes and Darby Allen against powerhouse Hobbs and Ricky Starks um, at Winter is Coming. On the December 9th episode of Dynamite, Sting spoke for the first time on TNT in nearly 20 years, confirming to Cody Rhodes he was signed officially with AEW. Sting then aligned himself with Darby Allin. He's been with Darby ever since. Uh, Since then, Sting has somewhat defied his age. At 64, he still appears on AEW television and jumps off high things in delight of the crowd there. He is still working. He's still fucking going. Now. There was so much stuff for championships and accomplishments that we had to bring it down. Like I think Jess said that he was best dressed in like '95 or something on PWS. It was like stupid awards like that or whatever. Took that like, stuff no, out. Yeah, take we try stuff. to keep we try to keep the really the stuff that really matters in. And right? and sometimes so, uh, 
you know, sometimes a wrestling observer, their awards are toxic because they, they do have, you know, they have like wrestler of the year and all that stuff or whatever. They actually, they also have worst wrestler of the year, worst match of the year. Cause you know, you have to do that to be a smart mark. Right. So, um, I cut all that <laughs> bullshit out of any legacy we do. I don't include that stuff. Why would I want yeah. Dave when we're trying to honor an athlete, you know, whether it's Luger, Sid, Sting, whoever, uh, yeah. and have Dave re fucking, Oh, by the way, they won. Worst worked match ever in nineteen ninety. You know, fuck that shit. So I, I cut all the negative shit out. There was very like few listing, but there was a couple bullshit, and I'm, I, I don't ever put that in there. I, just, I don't. Well, let's let's jump into Jim Crockett and WCW NWA World Heavyweight Champion for a one time. Also, a one time NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Uh, he was a two time WCW International Champion. Uh, two times with the WCW World. I'm sorry, United States uh, Heavyweight Championship. Six times he was a WCW World Heavyweight Champion, uh, three-time World Tag Team Champion, one with Luger, one with the Giant, one with Kevin Nash. Um, he won the Battle uh, Battle Bowl Battle Royal, say that ten times fast, in 1991. Uh, the European Cup in 94 and 2000, so he's a two-time champ there. Uh, the Ironman Tournament of 1989 he won. Uh, he won the Jim Crockett uh, Memorial Cup in 1988 with Lex Luger. He also was the King of Cable Tournament winner in '92, and um, he was also a third. Was it third time or is it third? Uh, oh, he, he was, was the third, third ever WCW Triple Crown Champion, Triple Crown Television Champion, champion U.S. Champion, World Champion. It's awesome. Um, PWI gave him Comeback of the Year three times: 06, 2011, and 2014. Um, he just keeps coming back. Uh, match of the Year 1991 with Lex Luger versus the Steiner Brothers at Super Bowl One. He was the most improved wrestler of the year in 1988, most inspirational wrestler in 1990, most popular wrestler of the year in 91, 92, 94, and 97. He was the wrestler of the year in 1990. He was ranked number one of the top 500 singles wrestlers in PWI 500 in 92, and he was 15 in that same year of 2003 for 500 singles wrestlers. He was also ranked 52 of the top 100 tag teams with Lex Luger. Um, I think in the year is it 2000? I'm not sure. Yeah, when the, that uh, that edition came out. Yeah. Yeah, and then we we jump into TNA. We're not done. He was the NWA World Heavyweight Champion uh, one time, making him a two-time NWA champion because it was the same belt, right? Yeah. Um, TNA World Heavyweight Champion four times there. He won a World Tag Team Championship with Kurt Angle over there, and he's also in the TNA Hall of Fame in 2012. That's when they bought that used ring for him, to my understanding. I'm just kidding, but not really. Um, also, uh, the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, he had the match of the year in 88 versus Ric Flair at Clash of Champions 1. He's the most charismatic wrestler in 88 and 92. Most improved in 1988. Best babyface in 92. And then Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame, Class of 2016. He's also in the WWE uh, Hall of Fame. Class of 2016. And he's like, well, that's great that I'm in the Hall of Fame, but I'm not going to stop. I'll stop when I feel like it, which is yeah, pretty he's, impressive. He's wonderful. And uh, like he deserves. It's so funny. I was making a joke before we hit record that like, I don't have a fucking sting shirt. I should be wearing a fucking sting shirt. You know, how, he, how, how do we not? Have he's one, been right? like yeah. my secret, like favorite wrestler forever. I mean, I was always a Hogan guy. Right. And we always were attracted. But Sting had always been. But it's for some reason, when someone asks me, I never say Sting. And I don't mean that as any disrespect. He's always been on my mind. I can always watch a Sting match. I will put on a Sting, Sting match because Sting's just always because the I fallback. 
Muda. We didn't even talk about Muda. Like, oh you know, my his god, with Muda. Muda, the whole Muda. You know, and his on and off going There's back so and forth much. to Japan. You know, over their television championship back in '89. You know, through like '91. <sighs> They were feuding wow. in Japan. So there's so many things I had to cut to keep it under an hour, which we are successful right now. Um, but it's like, it's just, he's wonderful. So I have nothing but respect for Sting. He's a true legend. He's why we like professional wrestling, guys like him. And uh, he's a, a, a great man. Uh, by all accounts, nobody ever says anything bad about Sting. He pays it forward every chance he gets. From the magic that he got from Flair in 88, he is not disappointed. And I would love to be in a room one day where everyone that Sting gave the rub to could raise their hand. And you would see an entire room full of people oh, raise their hand saying, uh, he helped me. He fucking believed in me. He put me over. Or he did this. He did that. He's a, he's a legend. What do you say like about Sting? What do you say, Craig? Yeah, he is the kind of the Frank Sinatra of wrestling. He's just like a, it was an unconventional way, but I think he did it his way. So yeah, yeah, that's really he, well said. He did it his way. He had the longevity. He's still doing it now. He outlasted Hogan. He outlasted Undertaker. He outlasted Flair. He outlasted every single one he stepped in the ring with. And as Jess said, as Flair made him, he's literally spent the last two years kind of with Darby. And he's going to close his career kind of working with him. And the, all from the stories go like he saw Darby kind of being a loner by himself, kind of hiding out in broom closets. And he's just like, this is not the way it's going to be. So take him under his wing and one final kind of give back to the business. But like he's um, absolutely, and I don't think he gives a shit either if he's not on your Mount Rushmore. Out of his whole career, he was in WWE for one percent of his whole career. He made his entire career without Vince, and I think that's so admirable and so like great. And he stopped there for a cup of coffee to kind of just do it, and he did great. Even though we don't like fucked him over anyway, probably because they didn't give him the rights to the name Sting. When you were saying that earlier about him keeping his rights to his name even after WWE. I was like, of course they didn't let him win. They don't own the Sting name. They'd never do it with a guy they yeah. assholes. Yeah, it's a perfect place to leave it, man. So for audio fans, give us a listen on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts, or watch our videos on YouTube at Our Wrestling Channel. On social media, can you help us out with a follow on Instagram at OWB 2019 or on Facebook at Our Wrestling Podcast? And don't forget that lovely daily motion where we go and we're uncensored. We don't have to worry about what we watch, how we watch it. Have a good time. Check out our daily motion content. Uh, It's going to probably peak up here pretty quick. Um, It's going to be a lot of fun. So, For the OWP, this is Dave, Craig, and Jess signing off. Have a good one.